Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Maggie Lawson. And I'm Timothy Amundsen. In this episode, we are thrilled to have the one, the only, Sean Spencer, a.k.a. James Roday Rodriguez, a.k.a. Joms, as I call him. Uh, we will talk about how James got to where he is today. We are going to focus on season one, episode two, The Spelling Bee, but we get into so much more and we can't wait. So let's go. Hello, everyone. Just a heads up, if you're wondering why the audio sounds a little different on this one, uh, it's because we're calling this one the episode where everything goes wrong audio-wise. But mostly, it's because I did not hit record on the better-sounding audio device, which is a very Maggie thing to do. Uh, I think James even has some sirens at one point, and Tim... Well, actually, Tim is perfect. Tim is perfect, but we already knew that. Um, So please enjoy this episode of The Psychologists Are In. This is episode two with James Roday Rodriguez. Uh, We talk about a lot of things and uh, episode two of season one, Spelling Bee. Hi, Tim. Hi, Joms. So um, this is episode two of The Psychologists Are In, and we are here with our Psych Rewatch episode to uh, relive all of our fun memories, tell stories, and... um, all that good stuff, and our very, very special, dear to both of our hearts, uh, star of the show, uh, the person who took care of all of us, who made this all uh, such a family, so special, and the uber, 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 obviously talented James Roday Rodriguez. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The pleasure is obviously all temps. <laughs> uh, no, no, not yet. Wait, I got some great gems. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. This is just for you, Jamie. Oh uh, my God! Yes. We're getting Sternbush. You remember when we first when we first started? It was all like dark and stuff. It's like all my hair and beard. I wish I could just wander out of frame and then get lost in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know where I live, buddy. Mm-hmm. I love I love the gray, Tim. I I I, I really do. It's good. You're friends, Maggie. Yeah, and he didn't even pay me to say that this yeah. time. It's hot, dude. It's hot. Um, There's a dinner on it for both of you. So, uh, Joms, as I, as I call you, I just wanted to, uh, kind of start at the beginning, um, for everybody, for us and how psych came to you when you got the script, where you were in your life, what it felt like, uh, all the good stuff. So start at the beginning, you got psych the script, 
Sure. Yeah, I was actually uh, I was working dim streets when uh, when I got. <laughs> what does that mean? What were dim uh, streets? Yeah. Well, I was using my instrument uh, to earn a living, uh, and it was going reasonably well. But I didn't see I didn't see a lot of a future in it. So uh, it's not something that I was you know hooked into for the long term. Truth is, if I remember correctly, and keep in mind that I'm an aged man, so. I'm sure that I, I'm sure that some of this is conflated, and uh, there's really no way to check my facts because um, only I know them. So, but I will I will retell this as best as I recall it. And and as I recall it, uh, I had been in Los Angeles for uh, going on seven years, I think, and I had done uh, like three network television series, none of which had lasted longer than a year. So I was I was working, and and because of that, I felt I felt lucky, and I felt appreciative in that you know I was still connected to a lot of people that I knew from college in New York who who hadn't been given those opportunities and were just as talented, if not more talented, than I was. So I was conflicted in that, like I was a working actor in Los Angeles, but I wasn't doing anything that I thought was. Uh, was particularly compelling. I didn't think that I was contributing much to the shows that I was on. No one was watching them anyway. Uh, and I felt like uh, I was having like, I was staring down the barrel of 30. So like I, I was 29 years old and I had what I think was like sort of my first existential artist crisis uh, for lack of an even more pretentious term uh, that I could probably come up with if I thought about it. Um, I just felt I was, I was not satisfied and I felt like I was kind of floundering and that, you know, this isn't why, this isn't why I'd become an actor. Um, so I, I had recently made the decision to change it up. Uh, I was never particularly fond, as you know, of, of living in Los Angeles anyway. I hadn't really found my groove. I hadn't really found my, my niche or where I sort of fit into that culture. So I decided, you know, screw it. Um, you know, I did this thing. I gave it a shot. Uh, I'm going back to New York. And that felt comfortable to me. It felt like something I could lean into. I, it came with a whole different set uh, of anxiety because I, I don't know if it's still like this, but back then, and this was, you know, a while ago, um, you know, if you left New York before you kind of established yourself as a theater actor, which is exactly what I did. And then you came back with like LA television stink on you. That was generally not helpful. Like that, that worked against you. And so I was going back to New York knowing that I was, that was something that I was a challenge that I was going to have to overcome. But I told um, my, my agent at the time, like, you're not going to talk me out of this. Uh, this is a decision I've made. I'm going to New York. I'm going to find a, an apartment to rent and we'll just, you know, we'll play it by ear, but start getting me theater auditions. Cause I think that's where I belong. And that's, I need to go back to that. So that was the plan. And, uh, and the plan was in motion. And my, my then agent, uh, a very a good agent uh, named Stephen Hirsch, who to this day I, I remain very fond of and was instrumental in the, you know, in, in, in the beginnings of, of my career, got the script for Psych, sort of apprehensively called and said, listen, I know we just broke down the whole thing and I know what you want to do and I know what the plan is and I'm not telling you that 
that shouldn't be the plan. I'm just telling you, it would be remiss of me as your agent to not say, I think you should read this. Um, I think you need to read this. And, and that's all I'm going to say. And he was talking about the, the script for Psych. And because he presented it to me in such a non-aggressive sort of like, just read it and then you can toss it sort of way, I didn't get offended. We didn't have like a quibble of like, look, man, I just told you I didn't want to do any more TV. Like he just kind of nailed the, he really stuck the landing so that I felt like, oh, it's okay. I, I will, I will read the first 10 to 15 pages of this pilot um, dutifully because my agent wants me to. And then I will set it down and, uh, and, and plan move back to New York. We'll, we'll go into full effect. Um, so the timing of it was pretty wild because then of course I read the first 10 when then I had to keep reading and then it was 20 and then it was 30 and then I had read the whole pilot. And my, my initial response was this reminds me a lot of a movie that was very near and dear to my heart called Real Genius with, with a character that Val Kilmer played named Chris Knight. And I thought, wow, this sort of overgrown Peter Pan man boy reminds me so much of that character. And that character was was so uh, like p pivotal in my sort of development for why I wanted to become an actor. So like, I don't know if, if it could have hit uh, like closer to the center of the target for me of something that would really, really resonate and kind of catch me off guard um, because of the similarities to that movie and that character. I felt weird. Uh, I felt conflicted and I felt I like I'd made a decision on the one hand and I needed to stick to it. Um, and for all the reasons that I thought it was going to be it a good decision and that it was going to be the change that I needed on one side. And on the other side, I was like, well, shit, this kind of feels like a, a hand in glove, like, you know, role that was like almost made, made for me in a way. And then Stephen was like, and then again, playing it very, you know, he just, he was like, just, you know, just meet, meet the guy who wrote it again. There's no stakes here. Like, you're not making any kind of commitment. You just keep looking at apartments in New York and just take them to the meeting. Um, he, he continued to sort of keep me from feeling like I was doing anything that, that would compromise, you know, this, this line in the sand that I had drawn um, so that I kept, you know, I was able to feel comfortable as I kept taking the steps that led to ultimately um, abandoning said plan and doing another television pilot. But the second step was meeting with Steve. Uh, as you both know, meeting with Steve is, uh, it's like getting a tour of, of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. He's just a giant, delightful, human-sized bottle of like sunny delight, like the original formula. Um, <laughs> Not Sunny D. Yeah, yeah, the the Sunny, Sunny D delight we grew up with. Yeah, he, it's just his outlook on life is is so uh, it, it's so purely positive, and uh, I I I hadn't been around a lot of people like that in my life. In the so so the script was great. I thought it had a ton of potential, and then I meet this man um, who's so high on on life and and just wants to have a good time and. And, you know, he tells me, uh, I was thinking of Ferris Bueller. I tell him I read it as Chris Knight. And we both 
are so steeped in the 80s and, and movies of the 80s that, of course, um, the idea that you could somehow thread that, that needle and like combine Ferris Bueller with Chris Knight then became like the most exciting thing uh, either of us had ever heard. Um, he was so uh, collaborative in that first meeting. Like everything I said, like you could just see him getting more excited about where this could go. Uh, like, and that was probably important. Like that was a big deal for you. I mean, you're hundred percent because I had yet to I had yet to experience that kind of freedom or that that level of collaboration on anything that I had worked on. It was just a gun for hire, gun for hire, gun for hire. And he basically said, "Look, I'm going to treat you like a partner on this." I want to sort of customize this experience for your process. I told him that, you know, I felt like I was at my best when I had a long leash and I, you know, and, and I had the, the freedom to improvise. Uh, he said he would never be precious about his words, which at the time um, sounded cool. But after doing this for 20 years and working with predominantly writers who are precious about their words. It's, it's a special thing to find someone who says that and, and means it in such a, like a wholly truthful, like loving collaborative way, the way that Steve does. Like he really will treat a script that he's put his heart and soul into as a blueprint. And the second it starts to veer off course in a fun and inventive way, he'll just jump on the ride, you know? Mm. And and I think that was an absolutely necessary ingredient for me uh, to, to reach the next step, which was, okay, um, I'm going to crack this open creatively. I'm going to start working on this material and I'm going to see if I can convince everybody that I'm the guy for this. Uh, I, I felt like Steve and I kind of had to be, you know, bound uh, ride or die. And, you know, he told me very early on, like, you are it, you're my guy, let's, let's do this. And I believed him. So the process then kind of became us, as opposed to like, just me. And then and that felt good. That felt cool. And still, like, in my mind, I'm like, all right, this is a detour, right? This is a this is a quick, even if this happens, I'm gonna go shoot this pilot for this fledgling network that I really only knew because wrestling was on it. Um, <laughs> I, I had never even watched, uh, I'd never even watched Monk. I mean, I, I know, I knew Tony Shalhoub was on it and that he's really good. And that like people, our parents age really loved that show, but I, I had never seen it. So I had no, I had no context for the USA network at all. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go do this little thing that might be the most fun I've ever had, but chances are that's where it ends. And then I will still, you know, land in New York and I'll be doing a play, you know, by the fall, hopefully, you know, beginning of the next year at the, at the latest. Um, and that is what took us into the actual process, which was relatively easy. I, I mean, I was, I was clearly set up to, to win this role, the testing process, you know, for anyone who's watching, who doesn't know what that means. Um, it's changed a lot over the years, but back then it was, it was two pronged, right? Because you have a, a studio who's behind a show that writes the checks. And then you have a network that's behind a show that allows the, the platform for which you know, the show can air on. And these two 
sort of entities have to coexist and so, and sort of get along. But you generally had to test twice. You had to test for the studio first, and they would have to be like, okay, uh, we you know we advance you on, and then you would test for the network. Um, and that had always sort of been the process. And then there are like casualties, right? Some people don't make it past the studio. Some people don't make it past the studio by design. It's a really ugly sort of neo-political awful process that I would wish upon no one. Um, but for this <laughs> one, I remember uh, they combined it, right? They, they mushed everybody from both entities into one conference room with a really long conference table so that I would only have to like dance once. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. Like you're chopping half of the process away. I really, I appreciate that. Wait, so and all then, of USA was in there? It was, or, yeah, or their it, was universal, it was universal and USA. Universal. And they were all jammed in one room. Uh, and, and somehow, uh, uh, well, not somehow, I think they asked my permission early on to put my uh, test on one of the DVDs. So it's out there, like it's on the internet somewhere. And uh and there were there were a couple other guys, um, God bless them. Uh, but I can tell you, like, it was it would have been a huge upset if somehow, uh, you know, I hadn't I hadn't won the day because that was really what it was sort of designed to be. Uh, and because of that, I felt almost no nerves. And again, I think I was tremendously aided by the fact that I had a plan. Yeah. And, and this wasn't it. So like, I didn't give a shit if it worked out or not. I really love Steve and I thought, oh, this could be fun, but I was good either way. So I, I went in there so loose and, and so like footloose and fancy free. I remember I did some silly like improv that lasted 40 seconds before I even started the first line because I was just like swinging it eh? i was just swinging, <laughs> feeling good and there were all these people and it was a ridiculous setup because it wasn't the right space for this it was just a long conference table i was like i'm gonna play the length of the table like i didn't give a <laughs> shit and, uh, and i just got and i went in there and i just sort of dropped the mic and uh and it all went according to plan and uh you know Steve was happy and Chris Henze, our other executive producer, and Kelly Kolchak, our third executive producer. Like, it was all a big love fest. I did it. It was great. The studio and the network. Yeah, we did it. We, you found this guy. What a great thing. Um, and then, uh, again, as the, as, and, and Maggie, you can attest to this more than, more than anybody, like, there's always, like, a weird curveball that that you don't see coming like anytime it feels too good to be true anytime this process goes too smoothly uh there's a reason for that and so after all of that uh and the high fives and the love and, the, and everything uh we get a call saying okay uh he is the network's choice he's the studio's choice he's obviously steve's choice we all adore him we love him there's just this one tiny little element of uh we offered the part to matthew perry but as soon as as soon as wait what as soon as he passes because we don't think he's gonna do it it's all systems go uh with james and we're so we couldn't be more excited so i never ever knew that yeah so there was like a 72 hour period wherein uh steve was just you know, every, checking in with me every day saying he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. He's not going to. And I was like, okay, I appreciate this. I love you for it. But 
I have to tell you, you should kind of want Matthew Perry to do your show. <laughs> if he says yes, it's going to get picked up and it's going to be a series on the air and people are going to tune in because I think at that point it would have been like the his follow-up to Friends, I think. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there had been anything between those two things. Like he'd done some movies, but this would have been like Chandler's return to TV. Um, and of course, like, you know, he's older than me and it would have been a, a very sort of, they would have had to rearrange some stuff and rewrite some stuff. And if the Sean Henry thing would have been the same as it was, so obviously it would have been a different show, but for a couple of days there, uh, everything was hanging in the balance. Again, I couldn't have cared less because I was, I was just like, whatever the universe has got this one. My eyes are set on New York city. And then he passed uh, presumably because there was no world wherein the USA network or the universal cable could come close to affording what it would have cost uh, to hire Matthew Perry uh, to be on the show. Um, and also he was probably like USA, didn't they have silk stockings? No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so that went away. And, uh, and then the, the rest was uh, as smooth and easy as, as it was designed to be. You know, I was very lucky in that I was, I was cast first and they sort of cast the rest of the show uh, around my silly energy. And I was a participant in, in the casting of, of every other role um work sessions uh studio tests network tests retests like you name it i was there for for all of it and was able to have some input you know they always wanted to know what i thought it was it was a dream wow. like it, from the very beginning it was just and so much of that is is steve franks and and him wanting me to feel like you know we were two sides of the same coin um that was the lead up uh to actually you know making the thing and uh and again i i felt like i was in a great headspace because this just felt like a, a fun extra thing that came out of nowhere um and there were no stakes attached to it for me um other than have a great time leave it all on the field and and here's an opportunity for you to actually be seen um not literally but as as an artist, here's here's a chance for you to stretch and show uh, a, a more accurate sort of representation of what you can do than you have ever been able to before. Not that your work on the street was an artistry. It was a different kind of artistry. <laughs> Look, I've never had the most fluid of hips. I'm never going to be accused of being like a limberman. Um, so yeah, it was, my days were numbered, uh, but thank you for saying that, Tim. But now we know why you were so limber and loose on the, sh the pilot. So you obviously um, had been doing a different kind of research prior to the role. <laughs> so by yeah. the time you got, you got to set, you were, you were ready to go, baby. And that was just dumb luck. Um, and also like if I'd been, I don't know, even one year older, like if we had started when I was 31, I don't think I would have been able to, uh, to perform some of those physical tasks but yeah so so then it was about it was about casting the rest of you assholes um and mags uh was not a part of that process initially no so you know Dule came next uh and he he should tell you that story uh because he lived it but there was a wrinkle there was a wrinkle for him too 
And, and what was, was his wrinkle? Oh, well, I guess we'll, we'll let Dulé tell. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tee it up. Like it was, it was all set up for him to come in and win the day. Charlie from, from West Wing, uh, Emmy nominated uh, Dulé Hill, not what Steve had written for the role of Gus, but an exciting uh, option that nobody had really considered or thought of. And again, to Steve's credit, the second that it was pitched and became a possibility, he just jumped right on it. Um, I think in his mind, he had always been thinking like Ferris, Bueller, and Cameron. It's Ferris and Cameron. Mm. And then here comes Dulay, not Cameron, mm-hmm. um, in any way, shape, or form. But he saw the possibilities. He saw something beyond what he had created. And instead of like holding on to this thing, like this baby, and saying, no, 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 he immediately was like, yes, absolutely. So again, the table was set, boom, boom, boom. And then, uh, Dulé had to test twice, so I'll let him. Uh, I'll let I'll let him tell the rest of that story. But uh, it was uh, it was good for some juice and some drama. Wow! If I recall, Corbin came next. Um, that was a real crapshoot. I I can't remember if he was like the favorite or not. But once I read with everybody, he was clearly like the guy we needed. Um, which was fun for me because, you know, he's Corbin Burns. He was Corbin Burns from Major League. So I I was getting my first dose of like 80s fanboy, which would become, you know, a big part of the show for me right out of the gates um, by reading with Corbin. Uh, and then in came handsome, lanky, ex-medicine ball, uh, <laughs> ju- judging Amy, uh, Tim Amundsen. And, and I do, I remember clear as day that you were the guy that they wanted. Uh, I do think they, they threw some other sweet poor bastard in there. Uh, as <laughs> Yeah, you would have had to come in and poop yourself and then show everybody that you'd pooped yourself, I think, to blow that one. Well, Tim, Tim kind of tells that story, but he kind of did for a second. <laughs> Luckily, um, Adrian, Adrian Zemet had his car battery died, so he couldn't make it to the, t- to the test. <laughs> and then there was a fellow that was in the waiting room who was a big movie star at the time and, or had been in a tremendously huge film who then later did our, our show. We were lucky enough. That's correct. To it was Tommy Howell. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. And we were like sitting in the room going, great. Oh, there's, there's freaking see Tommy Howell. This isn't going to work. <laughs> I don't have a shot in hell. He's awesome. And we are obviously yeah. big fans of his, but uh, yeah, I think look, looking where we were and looking all the way down the field as to, you know, this is a show that could potentially go as, which is how you have to think. Um, you know, he was not Lasseter. And I think that, that became clear pretty quickly. And, uh, and Tim was, Tim absolutely was Lasseter. There's a moment in, in my particular test, which I've told the story on other episodes, which I'll tell now where I wanted to beat the living shit out of you so badly <laughs> in my test because I was so prepped up and prepared. And then you, you went off book <laughs> and, and so totally threw me. And I was like, I went, I walked out of the room and then like I do, did the scene once, walked out of the room, just like furious and like spitting fire on the way out. And um, Steve comes out and is like, okay, let me give you a note. The note is we don't, we're not sure that you're um, strong enough, a strong enough force against this guy. So can you come in and maybe um, be a little, like be a little stronger? And I was like, watch this. Was, <laughs> so you, you ended up giving me this amazing gift because I went in with such, um, winning my sales and full of piss and vinegar that I just wanted. So it was, yeah, last year was really um, 
ready to, to destroy Sean Spencer. <laughs> what it was, which is which is what what I, was. I was. I was. I think I was talking to one of the other actors outside. I was like, "Motherfucker, went off book." And I think they were committed too. And I was like, we're like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen on the series. I'm sure Dulé will echo that uh, when you talk to him as well. I think, especially coming from uh, Aaron Sorkin show, uh, he was not prepared for my ways either. But, you know, I, like, just just me as an actor, I was like, oh, man, that's that's a terrible thing to do to another actor who doesn't have the job yet. But, you know, Steve kept encouraging me. He was like, I want to see if these actors can play off of you. I want to see if I want to see what, you know, if, if they if they have improvisational skills. So keep doing it, like keep doing it. I kept being mm. encouraged to like, you know, fuck around and do my thing. So I just, I went with it. And uh, and then flash forward to the series where you shot. You actually taught me so much about improvising and, and quick comedy. You really did. So I credit you for that. So I don't that, yeah, yeah, I hadn't worked with anybody that I got to play like that with. And I think you did in our test as well. These stories are so fun for me to hear because I I I came on later. So I, I don't know this like initial process that everybody kind of went through. So it's really fun. Well, to moving on to, to you, I can tell you that. Uh, the the casting of the original character, uh, whose name was what? Lucinda. Lucinda. Yeah, Lucinda. Um, I should know this because she Lucinda. was Lucinda. Uh, yeah, was that was the thing we couldn't crack? Like the mm. show, the show was cast, and uh, we tested that role once. Um, could not get consensus tested it again with a whole new batch uh, of potential actresses, couldn't get a consensus, tested it a third time, again, with a new set of people. And we went like the, the, we could not have cast a wider net. It was every type, you know, you can imagine we brought in so many different versions. And honestly, there was never a full across the boards, like sign off of, okay, we've got, like, we've got our Lucinda. But there was one actress who tested all three times. Like there was one actress who kept hanging in, even though she wasn't getting it, she would test again against a new group. I didn't quite get it. Test again. And that was Annie Dudek. So Annie, because they liked her enough to keep bringing her back and, and she tested multiple times. It's a great um, actress. Yeah. And is really good at acting, uh, ended up getting the role um you know pretty close to when we needed to like go and and start but there was never like the resounding like oh my gosh we've got our lucinda the word the way that there was with all of these other characters so i i say that to to sort of set up the fact that if there were going to be a character in the cycle that ended up you know not testing as well or or not fitting in as as well as the others it's not a surprise that it ended up being Lucinda because we had a really hard time casting her to begin with. We should also, Lucinda was not, in the, in, the, in, the, in the pilot script, there wasn't a whole lot for Lucinda to do. I don't think it was most kind of like banter between her and Lasseter. Yeah, I mean, so she wasn't a terribly flashy role where we go, oh, the actress can really glom onto that big. And the characters were having an affair, right? She was uh, an affair with Lassiter. Lassiter right. was separated. They were they were dating. Yes, they they were, they were they were dating. Sorry, not an affair, not an affair, guys. Okay, well, but they were doing it. They were doing the nighttime dance, and right. uh, and I think <laughs> she was she was supposed to be slightly 
bemused and curious about Sean in, in a way that would antagonize Lasseter even further. Right. Because he was so firmly um, antagonistic. And I think that was sort of what they had in mind for the two of them is that over time, you know, maybe she would start to believe and he wouldn't. And how would that affect their relationship? And I think that's kind of what they had on the board uh, for those two. And then, you know, we make a pilot. Uh, everybody really digs it. Um, sees a lot of potential. Uh, they test it, and that thing that they had sort of decided would would be the Lasseter Lucinda thing was the thing that people were kind of the most on the fence about. And when that happens, and and you get you know the same feedback enough times, it starts a conversation, and you only have one chance to make a move like that before and it's between pilot and series right like if you're gonna pull the trigger that's when you have to do it that was the thing that i think people were sort of the least interested in or like i don't know they just didn't respond to to that element of the pilot uh the way that they responded to, to everything else um and so the conversation started and uh again to steve's credit like this is a guy who's never had a TV show before, right? He has no experience to draw from. He's just winging it the whole time. And he's like, yeah, I think, I think this is an opportunity. And we were all like in total agreement that Annie Duda was a great actress. Like there's no question that we, that we had somebody who was talented. Um, but the fit felt like maybe it could be a little bit better. And I think Annie, you know, to her credit, acknowledged that as well. Um, and so we saw the opportunity to like, to maybe go in a different direction with that role, uh, mine a little bit more comedy out of it, uh, some, a, a brighter overall energy, a lighter energy, uh, and thus began the search for uh, a new lady detective, which landed us Maggie Monson. Well, I think if I, if I recall, the breakdown was Ray of Sunshine. Right? Ray of Sunshine. <laughs> Joms, I want to ask just uh, on the pilot, uh, did you know when you were shooting it, both of you actually, did you guys have that feeling of like, I think this is going to be something, or was it still kind of in that space of like, this is kind of risky, I don't know. Like, how, how, did, it, how did that feel? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I mean, I think we can all relate to that on some level. I know I can. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapist if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pineapple. That's BetterHelp, 
H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for the Psychologists Are In listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash pineapple. That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash pineapple. Yeah, I don't think I had the, oh my God, this is lightning in a bottle feeling yet. I think we were in Vancouver, which felt kind of odd. Yeah. And... Again, I think psych, and you could you could probably stretch this throughout the first sixteen episodes. I would I would say the whole first season of Psych um, was was about potential, right? But the but the mechanism itself was was still f- sort of finding its way, and and you know that pilot is kind of all over the place. You, you go back and watch it; like it's a bunch of people sort of just slinging stuff around and. And seeing what what landed and what didn't land, me especially, um, I think if you just isolate the pilot away from the series and everything that it became, you know, us having lived it and 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 the evolution and knowing where we ended up taking it, and just looked at the pilot, I, I don't I don't know that you would go, oh my gosh, like it was the planets aligning. It was you just it was just one of those jobs where you just knew the second you walked on set that you know you would hit pay dirt. Um, I don't know that the pilot was that. Uh, I think it, I think the opportunity to keep doing it, adding you, Maggie, um, finding the comedy in a way that we could consistently sort of, you know, oh, we can do this, and then getting confident enough to start taking bigger swings uh, and grow ourselves and find, a, find more of a culty audience. Like all of those things conspired to make it the job of a lifetime. But on the pilot, I think it was like, these people are cool. I love Steve Franks. I love that he's letting me goof off and goof around. I don't know if anybody's gonna think this is good. Like, I still don't know what USA is. I I, I just don't, I just don't know. I think is sort of where I was at. Where were you at, Tim? I had actually never done a pilot before. This was the first, I hadn't tested for a pilot in like eight years when I went in the, walked in that room to try and get this job. So I didn't know what the hell I was doing or what I was, what I was supposed to expect. I just knew that, like, yeah, I was having fun and um, really liked the people I was working with. So I do remember, James, a moment of where I broke your heart a little bit. We were sitting, I think, in a, in a certain restaurant bar across the street from our hotel, having, having some libations, and there was a sports ball game on. And you, you asked me if I was a sports fan because we were trying to bond it. And I was like, ah, not really. You just, you just, I saw the crush in your, in your face. Just kind of like, oh. But that, that might've been uh, the first episode after the pilot. Yeah, that's my, but then but you at least acknowledge that you knew who the Seahawks were. <laughs> that they, Considering you were from Seattle. <laughs> I do make you very proud one, one moment on the show, actually. I'd really gotten into, in, into the Seahawks and started, I actually figured out how to, um, Watch a Seahawks game on my computer. And I was sitting on set watching a game. And you came over and looked at you. It's like you were such a proud pop. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's like uh, taking Tim to a sports bar to bond. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's, all. That's all I knew how to do. <laughs> I, t- I took him shopping. I know how to bond with Tim. <laughs> that, was, that was a better That's idea. That's very true. It's like we are we had our shopping trips, and James and I had our attempts at sports ball um, <laughs> bars. Do you remember we did we did go to that one 
I did really enjoy James. Just for the record, when there would be a, a big game on, we and you sort of make plans. We're all going to meet at that particular bar and watch a game. That was always really fun, and I sort of learned how to watch sports with you. Yeah, but it was more about fraternity fellowship, the drinks that they had there, um, the view of things that weren't on the television. There was a lot of other. There were a lot of other elements. <laughs> Coming in from the rain. I feel like I feel like we all discovered very early that we we do a lot of things as a group very well. So we just love being around each other, man. It didn't we matter do. what we were doing. Like it really, really didn't. Um, we were just lucky. We were all in in places in our lives where uh, it just made sense to want that family, that that sense of of community up there. And again, like if you start listing off like all the things that had to be just so for this for this show to become what it did, yeah, uh, you ha- you'd have to start with okay, well here was the group of people, but it wasn't just the group of people. It was who were these people? Where were they in their lives? Um, so that they could be open and that their hearts could be open to each other the way that that all of ours were, because um, like you know life is like this and and. You know, if half of us had been in different places where this was just a job that we clocked in and out of, like it wouldn't have been the same. Like we, we all kind of came with our hearts open and, and, and they were penetrable. Um, and we, you know, we all got penetrated together. We did. And howdy. And we've cut into that part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so if we did get into spelling bee a little bit. Um, well, that was my, I think my character's intro, it was actually the second episode we shot, which Tim and I, um, had talked about speak now. Yeah. So remind me, so like we meet you in spelling bee, but that's not the first thing you shot. The first thing you shot was, was an an episode that aired after spelling bee, right? Um, exactly. So speak now when in, in the, in the church, it's funny how I remember it because my test was with you, James. So my test was like our chemistry and it's funny because when, when that show kind of first started, I mean, the majority of my stuff was actually with Tim and, and, and us developing. Yeah. So it's funny because I, I remember that act the shit out of it comes from that. Uh, we said that to each other for so many years, came from Speak Now, where <laughs> he looked at me and said, Maggie, what are you going to do? And I was like, what? Because I was so, I was so like, it was my first day. I was so new. You were 16 years old. You were emancipated, which is the only reason you could be on set without your parents. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I told him I felt like I was dressing up in like my dad's like oversized suits for years before I actually kind of felt like I, I stepped into like a, an adult detective. I felt like such a, almost like a little girl, like playing the, the character. Um, to straight your dad wore pastel pantsuits. yeah exactly but the character it's funny because like we actually had an episode or two jumps where it was second to air it was third lineup right that sounds right right. so we had all had some time together by the time we shot that diner scene right which was helpful because we went way off whatever i remember was written and kind of gave it its own little life well yes we did i mean you did and then i kind of followed <laughs> because that voice <laughs> right. to this day um because that was my audition scene i remember you did not use that voice in in the test oh my god i my genuine reaction so I think, yes <laughs> yeah and it it lived. It, lived through, it became a thing that we were able to go back to the well on. No, we did a million times. 
watching Speak Now, and I didn't, you know, I we obviously had people in common. Other than our audition scene, I didn't. I don't think I'd even seen the pilot of Psych. So didn't we have anyone in common? I don't remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love when you're like so many things had to happen. Uh, The first building in Vancouver. I think about which, which, by the way, I should tell you before I forget uh, our current. Uh, on-set writer-producer, a lovely man um, that we all adore, who's up here with us on A Million Little Things, lives in the Crandall. Have you been back there? I've been over there a couple (gasps) of times uh, since. And boy, boy, does that bring back, like, weird bursts of, like, visceral, like, images and, and memories. And those those apartments still have the exact same uh, floor plan. Same oh, layout. that's so weird. Two bedrooms, yeah. bathrooms packed into the tiniest little cube. Imagine they don't actually have doors. They're just these like slider dividers. That's so funny. Yeah. So Joms and I, uh, we, we discovered uh, by chance, I think after the first cast dinner we all had when you were like, oh, um, yeah, my, my place is over here. And I was like, oh, I'll walk with you. I'm, I'm over there, too. And we walked to the same exact building. Yep. One floor, one floor apart. And then that was off and running. But, uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so. We so. all got penetrated together, Tim. Remember? <laughs> all so we filmed your intro to the show after you had done a whole episode playing, playing Detective Juliet O'Hara. And to your point, I think it, that was a good thing. Um, yeah, because you at least had like one episode under your belt. And I, I think when I had watched Speak Now, and Tim and I had kind of touched on this, or we had talked about this as well, watching you for the first time, I was like, I would read the, I read the script that said, you know, it said, I think all it said was Sean has a psychic episode. Oh yeah, that was big in the early seasons. Of, of, the, of the wrap up, right. But when we went to shoot it, it was this choreographed number. And I don't know that you actually planned it. Like it, it, it felt like it was all happening, like really naturally, like you were finding it as you go. We ha- you'd have four page breakdowns of cases basically. And somehow would manage to use the room and it, it all makes sense. Half the time, Tim and I were like, what? Do you know what's happening? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. But you would break it down in a way that like made sense. And as the as the, the episodes went on, the elaborate dance that I feel like all of that was uh, was something you brought. I think early on, uh, I mean, it, it was good because I, I was in a place where I was embracing that challenge. I thought it was great. I thought like every every breakdown was going to be like this puzzle that I had to crack. And that was exciting to me. And, I would show up like a little bit early on that day and I would walk whatever set we were in and I would like take note of things. And then it right. kind of became this like this spontaneous, let's see what happens um, enterprise because they weren't scripting stuff. Uh, I think what we learned relatively quickly is that that was not something that was going to be able to sustain itself. Um you know, for the course of a series, you know, you do it once or twice, that's fine. But when it was like two, three, four, five times, um, that's when, you know, was, we all started going, huh, 
and I think the writers started going, maybe we should start, you know, at least meeting him halfway on these things. Uh, you talk about the breakdown specifically or just ran his random um, psychic episodes? I would say the breakdown specifically, just because they were so long, like like Mag said. I mean, look, we we never we were never A plus mystery writers. Um, <laughs> but, but we certainly got better as the show went along. But in those very, very early episodes, uh, we were barely laying down clues, right? Like we it was pretty shoddy storytelling in terms of the who done it. So we had to basically tell you everything that that the case was at the end so that you would have some idea of what you had just watched so mm. which nine know. times out of ten is the only reason i understood the episode watching you portray watching you you were portrayed yeah. yeah it was basically like him it was like tim curry and clue where he has to kind of reenact the entire night like over and over and over again um so that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that was what we were doing in in that first season early on and it was fun it was fun but i think yeah, we I think everybody on set kind of knew like, well, this isn't gonna it, it can't be like this uh for, for too much longer. And then it was just sort of like meeting of minds again, Steve being Steve, you know, we kind of just those things often happened organically without anyone having to say, Hey man, uh I uh I this isn't working for me. It was always sort of something that we kind of just felt collectively. And so there was never any kind of like hardcore, like, yo, dude, these breakdowns have to, you know, you have to get, you have to help me out here. I think he was just watching cuts going, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and then they just, really, they just started getting better um, and easier. And then because they started getting better and easier, I started feeling like I could do less. And that was also important because I think for the, for the longevity of the series, like Sean being some heightened Ace Ventura type character was also going to be too much. And if you go back and watch, you know, early season one, there was so much, there's so many big, like physical choices being made that I think would have lost the novelty uh, had, had it been mostly that. Uh, what we discovered is that we can lean way more on, you know, wordplay and talking fast and and visual gags that were quick so that if we did do something really, really big and broad, um, it felt like, uh, you know, an outlier as opposed to a norm. And I think that was really important uh, for the series, too, is like learning, like, oh, we can go smaller. We need mm. to go, we need to go smaller. Um for all of us, but for me especially, um, it works. It works for a movie. Yeah, it, I don't think it works for for a, an eight seasons eight seasons of television. I would get so tired just just watching you, but you made it all work. And I think for us too, watching that. I mean, I don't know, Tim. I I I feel like I know for me that first episode you know, first couple of episodes between like Speak Now and Spelling Bee and all of us sort of, I mean, I was so new, but like all of us were figuring out our relationships and our characters and like everything. I know I felt like I hit the jackpot from meeting Steve, as you said, who is just this 
big kid who is excited about everything, but having sort of, like, you set a tone. Steve and our writers mostly were in L.A. or in Manhattan Beach, and so they were up, they were in and out, but, like, you were kind of the one who was who was holding the fort down um, in Vancouver, and I know for all of us, like, we were all looking to you, like, you were already sort of setting this tone of taking care of uh, and making sure everybody was covered, not just us, but, like, the crew, and it really did, I feel like, start there. I mean, I think, I mean, we I, we all still say this to this day. Like, that's where, that's where we sort of started to find that, like, this is, this is something else. This is beyond. But I, it really did. You were the, the one to sort of set that tone. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the guy like Sean was the adult in the room. Like, truly, the leader. And, yeah. Well, I think what hit me um, probably about halfway through the first season was... So nobody's going to come here, like, <laughs> and, like and, and police us. And if you remember, the, the studio did try for about five seconds. They sent a dude who was kind of supposed to just wrangle us and keep an eye on us because otherwise it was it was truly like you know, the animals running the zoo. Um, and I think <laughs> wait, he wait, was that Joe. That was yes. Joe. Yes, right. Joe. And I think was just so set up to fail. Maybe two episodes, maybe three episodes, and then it was just like, "Yo, man, that's that's not how this this is not how we're going to succeed." And so when he left, and it was back to basically just us, I think that's when it really hit me. Like, oh my gosh, this is a golden opportunity to like affect the DNA of a show to like really put like our stamp on what this show is going to be because who's going to tell us no, like it was wild. And, and because I knew that Steve was Steve and as long as it was funny, you know, and, and still within the construct of the show that he created, he was always going to be on our side. I think that's, that's when I really sort of like, that's when the antenna went up and was like, okay, if we do this right, uh, we could have a, a hell of a ride here. Um, because if you recall, the the premiere was like gangbusters. Like at the time, it like set. Like, yeah. yeah, it was hugely successful. And it was like the most viewed cable ship pilot of all time or something. So you combine that, like, oh my gosh, we have, a, we have viewership with the reality that the creative was going to be something that we could affect on a weekly basis. That's when I think it hit me like, okay, we all love each other. We all trust each other, but also like, we're going to, like, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to do this because I don't know how often a, a, an opportunity like this comes along. And as we can all now attest, uh, it's not, it's not often. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it was so special. It was so special out of the gates. And, and we just wanted everybody, like uh, we wanted everyone to sort of feel as, as confident in in what they were doing uh, as humanly possible so that we could start giving episodes to people. You know, that was something that Steve and I had, had discussed very early on, like, okay, maybe not season one, because we really need to establish tone and, you know, people needed to sort of know what they were signing up for. You know, yeah. But if you, if you go back and, and remember, like, uh, Scary Sherry was the last episode of, sing of season one. And that was like a really? Juliet, wow. that was a Juliet episode by design. And so it was pretty early on, like in the engine that we were like, all right, we've got good people who can do good shit. 
and and they're funny and if we give them good material like that's how we're going to grow this show and that's that's how we're going to go places um so like making sure that everybody was on board and like dialed in and not checking out and not feeling complacent and not feeling like all right what same three lines do i say this time when i show up at the crime scene was re was really important um to us because that we just we wanted everybody like with us the whole time I can't wait to have you back to talk about Scary Sherry, which <laughs> I, I do want to say, did you know right away that you wanted to, how, how did you approach Steve about writing in season one? Steve approached me about writing in season what? one. What? Oh, that's so great. Again, it's just like this job sort of defied everything that we've ever been taught uh, as far as like what to expect out of this business. Like, and again, I think the common denominator is Steve Franks because he just didn't, it's like he just didn't know any better because he's just Steve, right? And I think probably at the time, you know, his partners were probably saying, you did what? You asked Roday if he wanted to write? What are you doing? <laughs> um, because he was just like, well, why wouldn't I? Like, I want to do like a Halloween episode and, and James writes horror movies. Like, it just, why wouldn't I do that? Because he's Steve. Uh, it's because his total lack of ego. Yeah, he came to me like in the middle of the first season. It was like, "Hey, let's write a Halloween episode together." Oh, and I got to, I and I got to benefit from that. And such, it's, I mean, it still remains my one of my most favorite job experiences ever. It was an incredible thing that he did for me and for all of us. And and uh, and this was after he watched Skinwalkers, the movie that. <laughs> <laughs> the horror movie that, that I had that had been produced before we went. Like, let's do five. Recognized yeah. that it was not good. Um, <laughs> no, no. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the opposite side, which is Steve was very very smart and knew exactly what he was doing, because bringing you into that position was was a huge uh, for the show. I think in shaping how it was going to go, it was very. Yeah, it was pretty kinetic. It was there was yeah. I, we had a I my that was my introduction to to writing for television, and uh, oh, that's so crazy. Wait, was Scary Sherry? Oh yeah, yeah. I had, I had written uh, a couple movies, um, and and I'd worked with movie executives. And by the way, I'd written R-rated movies. Um, so this was, <laughs> this was not only like my first my first foray into television structure, like the one hour structure and, you know, your tags and your, your, your teasers and your act structure and all that. But I was also, I was writing shit that we never could have put on camera. Like we never, like there was stuff in that first draft of Scary Sherry that Steve was just like, dude, what you, you, you can't behead someone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why not? <laughs> but you can't have an ax fight. Yeah, if you remember Scary Sherry, uh, Bianca, uh, Bianca's Toast. We called it Bianca's Toast because she yeah. gets killed. Yeah, the toaster. But the first draft, <laughs> the first draft, she gets beheaded and her head bounced down a, a flight of stairs. Um, that's what I wrote in the first draft. And Steve was just sort of, he was so sweet and gentle about it. But he was like, there is no world um in which we can even sort of do this and even if we were on a network where you could you know chop someone's head off and have it bounce down a staircase that's not my show <laughs> um, 
So I definitely had to rein my shit in. Um, and that was sort of my, that was probably the, the, the biggest adjustment that I had to make writing wise was just like, Oh wait, right. I, I still have to fit inside of like the, this bubble of what we, of what we do. So I had way more of an adjustment to make uh, as a writer than I ever did as an actor. Um, and that's how I started learning. That's how I started learning how to write television um, was because of psych and, and knowing what you could and couldn't do and when to pull back and, you know, when to it's choosing your battles, like all, all of the stuff that you have to sort of learn in order to be a decent television producer was just like a crash course uh, for me starting in the first season, which again was just unheard of. Um, and the same thing with directing. Like I never had to go to Steve and say, I want to direct an episode. He came to me and said, uh, I know, we're, I know we both want to direct. Um, I'm going to do it first because uh, my name is Steve Franks and I created this show and you're going to go after, and you're going to go second after me. Is that cool? And I was like, of course that's cool. He directed <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> let me think you? about that. <laughs> Had Psych done the uh, the head going down the um the stairway, it would have been it would have bounced like a Super Bowl. Yeah, it would have been silly. That's not, I remember him. I was like, it's funny though. It's not like <laughs> it's not scary head bouncing. It's like fun. It's silly. It's like we'll shoot it against like uh, a wall so that it's not the head you're seeing. It's the shadow of the head, right? It'll be really cool. It's going to bounce a minute last in the nose. <laughs> Poor and then we'll shoot it from behind Steve. the head. We'll shoot it from behind the head at Sean and Gus. And so we'll just be doing like <laughs> hair, hair and their reactions. Like, get it? <laughs> oh my God. Well, Joms, I definitely, we will, we're going to do a special Scary Sherry episode for sure. So that's a fun, fun tease, but I want to have you, I want to have you back to talk about that for sure. Yeah, that one's great. I mean, that, that, and I, I know Dulé always says this too, but I couldn't agree with him more that the end of season one, beginning of season two, one, two punch. American duos. Come on. Scary Sherry and American duos is, is I really, it's truly what I, what I believe kind of sent us into the direction that would would really become like what we know is like our bread and butter. And because of that, I think we do owe uh, a great deal of, of thanks to John Landis because he directed both of those episodes. Of course, and Tim Curry, right, of course. He brought with him, as you know, a, a mixed bag of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of skills, but, but he undeniably brought that that special thing that he does uh, to comedy to our show, and no question. And we all learned that we we could do it. Yeah. Uh, and then I just feel like we were off off and running. Oh my god! I don't I don't want to end this episode. This was like this is I love talking about all this and the beginnings of all of our spelling bee was was also a really fun episode. Uh, yeah. Sh- I you know the. It was just so ridiculous. Um, and I think it set, then, a really, uh, set a really nice baseline. Of just Mitchum. how, just how <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was watching the episode again on my phone last night in bed just so I could sort of be up on it and be professional to talk to all you. You watch, you watch episodes of James in bed a lot, be, be honest. Duh. <laughs> A lot of it's just uh, security camera footage from his time on, um, what was it? Uh, it was Gardner and Sunset, wasn't it, where he used to work? 
That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a busy, it's a busy corner. You had people stumbling out of, uh, you know, Il Compadre looking for the night to not be quite over. Is that 7-Eleven uh, right across the street? Yeah, that's where, that's where I, I got in where I fit in, Tim. And watching the, um, the episode back, it really was one of the first times we really established the um, Sean and Gus relationship, that history of like what Sean had done to Gus in their childhood. Yeah. So it's the first one we really got to see that, I thought. Yeah. And just how much, especially in the early going, we were going to lean into those Sean Henry flashbacks as well. Like that was, oh yeah, it was back when the formula was like set up a lesson in the in the flashback and then have that theme echoed in the in the episode and and that was a big part of the structure of the series uh, early on was those father son, you know moments and how they manifested in their adult in their adult lives you know that's a big part of the steve franks canon is father son um and that was those early episodes were heavy like i think i think that the spelling bee might have been the doghouse one right where like yeah it was the doghouse yeah so yeah that was a big part it was a big part of the of the 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 sale of the show too um was how how much sean and henry's relationship was was going to be it is heavy. It's emotional. Watching it back, I remember, I, or I, I was thinking about that, just how um, there were some real, that, that's another thing about the show that I think is, got established very early on, but those moments hit just as hard as the others. Like, they really do land. Like, I think it's really hard to find that balance in comedies to have the the drama land the same way, the emotion kind of land the same way, and to have something that emotional have the comedy be as silly as we were it it all it all lands and i also love to um i feel like in that episode we again it aired second but we had had that first that first one where i am actually coaching you i think in spelling bee tim on how to sort of be nice yeah <laughs> Which the cameras, like yeah kind of I the point for the cameras again. like it's just like at least pretend at least pretend um that you care <laughs> you're right it was really a big um foundation point for uh lasser and o'hara in their relationship and what yeah. what o'hara does to lasser what, yeah. what she um offers him and teaches him i'm being sensitive yeah being sensitive <laughs> be sensitive and of course i think my favorite my favorite of that would be the the diner scene just because that was my my uh if i had to pick a favorite scene from that yeah i mean that was the uh the origin that was juliet's origin story that's where it began that's where it all began fifth grade fifth grade grade voice yeah (laughs) yeah it was funny i remember the director saying he was just like wow he was like yeah this is good there's uh you guys have good chemistry yeah that was important Um, (laughs) Who directed Spelling Bee? Damsky. Damsky. Yeah, it was the commander. It was the commander. commander Mel we're gonna get the, we got to get the commander on as well because I um, feel like, yeah. It would mean so much to him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, we, we, I was thinking about that the other day because he really, that those first couple of seasons, he kind of took over the, the wrangler role uh, while also letting it be like, James, go and do whatever you want. <laughs> um. This was so wonderful. I can't thank you enough, um, Joms, just telling that whole story and how all of this kind of came to, began, all of our 
I don't know. It's so, it's so fun and so special to relive everything. Yeah. It'll be great to hear everybody tell that story. Yeah. Um, and, and be and Maggie, before we, before we uh, sign up, what you were touching on before of James sort of being the adult in the room. Yeah. yeah the um, success and uh, every, any, the relationship of any cast crew always comes from number one in the call shooting. Yep. And uh, so not only were you the adult in the room, but you, you so set that tone of just love and support for everyone. And, and I am so, I know we're all grateful for it. So thank you, Joms. I love you. Me too, Joms. I am eternally grateful for the opportunity and I couldn't have asked for uh, a better group to go on that journey with. And uh, that's why I chose to be intimate with both of you. <laughs> I, only, well, I only regret that it was never at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, guys. There's still time. <laughs> We both need to be uh, in the same. We all need to be in the same town. I think. Get on a plane. Seriously, Tim. What the fuck yeah. are you doing? What are you doing? Get on a plane to Vancouver. Sorry, I, I blame myself. Yeah. <laughs> As you should. Okay, uh, good night, you guys. I love you both. I love love you both so much. And we'll do it again. Uh, uh, yeah, Joms, we're having uh, scary Sherry for sure, and uh, obviously, anytime we're doing anything, hop, hop yeah. on. I'll come back plenty. I'm super stoked for you too. I'm, I'm so glad you're doing this. I know there has been a, an appetite for it for quite some time. So thank you. Thank you for giving the fans more of what they want. The psychologists are in. Sure so not idea. Tim. Oh, stop. Come on. Come Here on. Is. Anyway, we love you everybody. Uh, thank you. And um, we will talk soon. Okay. All right. Suck it. Belling B episode two in the can. That was such an incredible talk with James. Love it. Or Joms, as I call him. I didn't know some of that. Did not know he almost gave up TV acting and was going back to New York. What would we have done without him? Psych wouldn't be here without him. We wouldn't be here without him. Um, so uh, once again, thank you all for listening to the second episode of The Psychologists Are In. Super, super special episode. We are beyond excited uh, you know, to relive all of our favorite parts of Psych. Our favorite parts being all of them, as you know. Please feel free to message us on our Instagram at the psychologists are in or our Twitter at psychologist pod because we love hearing from you. So keep the messages coming. And while you're at it, you can follow us on TikTok where I'm hopefully getting better at this at the psychologists are in. See you guys next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.